0: A man once asked God, what's a million years to you? God said, a second. So the man asked God again, what's a million dollars to you? And God replied saying, a penny. So the man said to God, well, would you give me a penny? And God stopped and said, yes, I will. Just give me a second. Oh, Lordy, Lordy. Someone tell me to stop it already. Oh, man. You guys ready for the word today? I'm ready to preach to you guys today. I got a good one. We're still talking about change, and we're talking about how to have lasting change. Not just lasting change, but effortless, lasting change. Effortless change. Who would like to just change effortlessly without doing anything? That's not going to happen. You have to do something. You got to do something. But when you do this something, then it'll produce an effortless change. Amen? You got to prepare before the change comes. Because if you're not, even if you're not prepared, you won't be ready for when it's time to change. And it's going to be a lot harder to do it on your own strength than it is to do it with the Lord's strength. Amen? If you have your Bibles today, turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This is my favorite section of the Bible. I don't know if you can tell, but when I just when I flip open my Bible, it just goes to this part because it's like it's already ripping because I'm here all the time. This is my favorite part of scripture. This is, I believe, this is pivotal to a lot of Christians. We dealt with this last year. I mean, not last year. What am I talking about? Last week, about if you don't understand these simple truths that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter four, it's going to be very difficult near impossible to understand all the other parables and analogies that jesus talked about in the rest of the word of god so i believe that this is one of the most important things to understand in the bible about the bible that the bible is the word it's it's the seed that god plants in your heart and that if that ground your heart is that ground if your heart is good ground it'll produce a beautiful harvest amen So we're starting off here in Mark chapter 4, verse 15. It says this. It says, And he said to them, These are ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, so they endure for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones who are sown on good ground those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit some 30 some 60 and some 100 fold someone say thank god for his word now last week we talked about the word being the incorruptible seed that never stops producing it's not the word's fault if it's not working in your life. It's not the seed's fault for not sprouting up. It's the ground's fault, every time. You can have the most perfect seed, and if you put it in bad ground, it will never produce. On the contrary, you can have an old, old, old seed, very old, and if you put it in good ground, it can still produce. Remember, I shared the story of these, these people over in, um, in Israel with this 2,000-year-old seed. The 2,000-year-old seed that they found and that they planted into the ground 2,000 years later from when, it was, from when it's carbon dated. And it produced a date tree. It still produced fruit even after it's been old for 2,000 years, which goes to show it does not matter how old that seed is the ground is where all the nutrients and all the life changing ability is is where it's at that's where the ground contains the ground is the is the important factor the seed's the catalyst the seed it just it helps the ground turn the ground's nutrients into whatever that seed sprouts up to be amen, amen. so today I don't have a, a title for today's message, but I probably I'll probably find one at the end of the end of the message or something like that. We'll see. So if you're writing notes, just leave it blank. I had a title. But then I didn't write it down, so we'll see what we'll see what happens. So going back to Mark chapter 4. In verse 17, if you can put verse 17 back up, we talked about the ones who were sown on stony ground. They heard the word, received it with gladness. Then it said they had no root in themselves. So they only endured for a little time, but then tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake. Notice in all these accounts, the enemy doesn't do anything to the ground. Notice that before? The devil does not do anything to the ground. What he does is he tries to get the seed, not the ground. The enemy doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about you individually. So when affliction or persecution comes, don't take it personally. Because it don't matter if it was you or your neighbor. All he's trying to do is get that seed from out of your heart. That's all he's trying to do. So the first ground was hard ground. The seed didn't even plant. So the devil just came and and took it. Didn't even have to fight for it. Didn't have to struggle with it. Didn't have to convince you to give it to him. Didn't have to hurt you. All he did was took it. That's all he did. The second ground was stony ground, meaning it was shallow depth. There was no depth of the earth. There was no lasting ground. It was shallow, and it was probably a mile wide, but an inch deep. That's the type of ground it was. And so when it was planted... It it, it was starting to germinate under the ground for a little bit, but then the the persecution came, and the people mocking them came. And the ones said, oh, you're a Christian, came. And that came with affliction and the hardship of life. And so because of that, the seed died. The seed couldn't produce fruit. In fact, the ground or the seed, it it sprouted up a little bit, but it says the sun came and it scorched it. It killed it. And those are the people who come to church, and they, they love the word of God. They hear the word. They receive it with gladness, like it says. But then they, they don't understand anything else about the kingdom of God and how God operates. And then they think that when the devil comes and attacks them, it's God that's coming to strengthen them. And they get confused. And so they fall away. The Bible says they become offended or they stumble away. That word offense means to stop trusting someone whom you actually should trust. And that's what happens to a lot of Christians is they get a lot of hardship that comes their way and they scratch their head thinking, I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I give. I do all the things I'm supposed to do, but but this still comes in my life. God, what's going on? And because of that and and a lack of understanding, they stop trusting God, and they just accept these things as a part of of life. It's a part of normal Christianity. Oh, I guess these things have to come. I, th- I guess this hardship has to come in order for me to be strengthened. I guess I guess, my family member has to die for me to learn a lesson. And they don't understand the word, so the sun scorches it. And eventually, they either stop believing God altogether, or they believe a very, very shallow version of God that gets them no results in life. I believe that's where most Christians are at. Ninety. Per- percent of christians i believe are those people who they love the word they, they come to church and they receive it they shout preach it again pastor but they don't have roots in them and so they're shallow they're shallow christians they'll go to heaven and they'll probably get there a lot quicker than others so the third ground well the the point i was i i didn't even get to this point last week but I wanted to get to it today before I went on. Like I said before, notice how every time the devil comes to attack, it's for the word. It's for the word's sake. Again, it's not for you. He's not not coming against you personally. People, when they criticize you, aren't criticizing you. They're, They're not personally attacking you. They're trying to get the word out of your heart. So when we allow the opinions of others, To affect us because notice it says persecution when persecution comes persecution does not come in the form of sickness persecution is only from people that's it you're only persecuted from a person you cannot be persecuted from anyone else that's why that's why we can't ask god to redeem us from persecution because god can't control people contrary to most people's belief. God can't force people not to persecute. We all have free will, freedom of speech, and freedom of opinion. So when persecution comes, because it will, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. When we allow those opinions to affect us negatively, it's like like we're running a race, and it's a long race, and all of a sudden we see someone in the grandstands yelling at us, saying, you can't win. You're not going to make it. You're not good enough. That's like us arguing and getting out of our lane, running up those grandstands and getting in front of them and telling them exactly why we're going to win this race and why they are wrong and how we'll prove that we will win the race. You know what you just did? You've lost the race. You might have won the argument, but you lost the race. See, the people who are spectators will always persecute the ones who are doing it. I heard this once in a, I don't know what I was listening to, but it was like a a business type of seminar or podcast. And the people were saying, look, if you want to start that business, go ahead. But don't let the people who say you can't do it stop you. Because those people tried it once, it didn't work for them, and they never tried it again. So they're telling you not to do it. Do you know who never, ever ridicules people trying to start something new? The ones who did it and are successful with it. The only people who will ridicule and persecute are the ones who tried it and failed. That's it. And the people who are arguing, the people who are yelling, the people who are calling you this and that and saying you're a, you're a fake or saying you're just some radical or whatever are the ones who've either never tried it or the ones who tried it and they failed at it, so they persecute others. That's it. So don't let people who have failed stop you from succeeding. Amen? Don't let the people who, who tried it and it didn't work for them tell you not to do it because they're trying to get that out of your heart and get you to believe that you cannot do it. Amen? Amen? Don't get out of the race and argue with the grandstands. You might win the argument, but you will lose the race every single time. Amen? So going on, in Mark chapter 4, verse 18, just in the same scripture, I want to move on to this ground today. It says, These are the ones that were sown among the thorns. These are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of the world. Deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So this is now the third ground. Who the end result of all three of these grounds so far have been the exact same unfruitful all three of them the first ground it was taken away the second ground they became offended and there's their, their fruit dried up and the third ground they became unfruitful because underneath the ground the the root or the plant was choked underneath the surface it was choked now This is what I love about this. The first ground, again, it didn't even dig into the ground. It wasn't even planted into the ground. The second ground was planted. So the devil had to attack the top of it to get it to die because it was shallow. It says the sun scorched it, and it dried up, and and was unfruitful. So the devil had to fight to get this plant to die. But now check out the third ground. The third ground, it says, was planted among the thorns, and because of it, the thorns entered and choked it, not from above, but from below. See, these people, there's a good amount of Christians that are in in this part of life where they've heard the word, received it with gladness, they went home, they studied it. They, they endured the persecution, they endured the affliction, they got through the other side, but something else entered and choked it. They, 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 they might have seen healing before, they might have seen deliverance, they might have seen all these great miracles, they got through a lot of things that the other one didn't get through. But because the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things entered and it choked the word it became unfruitful these are the ones who have sown the seed into the ground with a lot of other things that are taking the ground's nutrients like i said the ground is the most important factor because without the good ground the seed won't work without without you having a receptive heart this won't work amen this is powerful, but without this, it will do nothing for you. So this ground that, that they sowed it in, it had, it had nutrients, but because there were thorns and weeds in the ground, those nutrients were were they were divided to other things except the word. They were divided to, to supply those nutrients to those thorns and to the weeds and to the seed. See, our ground can only supply so much nutrients. The ground can only give attention to so much. If you you plant the seed in the ground, but you have a thorn and you have weeds, the same nutrients that's in the ground that could go to the seed has to divide itself, has has to split and go focus its energy elsewhere. See this Jesus is trying to say these are the people who man they they love the word and they love God and and they've seen great things but they're distracted. They're distracted. They're they're people who multitask very very good. Very good. Now, I'm going to say something that always gets Bad feedback from women especially. You can't multitask. It's not a good thing. It's, it's not what we were made to do. I don't care how good you can mop and, and iron at the same time. You ever seen those, those old shows of people doing that and they have like a baby and they're doing all these things. They're carrying the baby, they're vacuuming with their foot and then they're ironing with their hands. We can't do that and expect good results. Why? Because your attention's divided. I remember I had a pastor one time say the meanest thing to me. I s- still think it's so mean today. I've forgiven them, but I haven't forgotten. They said, Matthew, you are a jack of all trades, but a master of none. You are a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And I don't think they were trying to compliment me. I think they were trying to offend me. Because that particular meeting wasn't a good meeting. But it was when I was younger. I was in high school and I had my attention was just, it was just everywhere. It was scattered. And they were trying to get me focused on one thing. And they told me that, you're a master, you're a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Meaning I can do a lot of things. I can play the guitar. I can, I can sing. I can play soccer. I can, I can do a lot of things. I'm very talented. But if I don't know how to focus my attention on one thing, I'll never get, I'll never become a master at that one thing because my attention is all divided. That's why now I try to focus on one thing at a time. I've learned that it's harder for me to try to multitask as it was before. Um, Now I like to just, I like to zero in on what I'm doing and just do it until that's done and then i'll move into the next thing i don't like starting things that i can't can't complete anymore but multitasking is not the best thing it's not necessarily a bad thing but it's not always a good thing and that's because i've said this before i believe that if the devil if you if the devil is going to get you to get off course all he has to do is give you two visions yeah if you want to kill a man's vision give him two because that's called division or division. And when you have division, you can't accomplish what you're set out to do. So although there are times to multitask, sure, it's not the best. It's not what we were designed to do. And so the person that Jesus is talking about is the one who allows all of the things, the cares of life, to enter into their ground or enter their heart and choke out the word that's in them. Paul says it best in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I do not count myself apprehended, but one thing I do is forgetting all those things which are behind me and reaching for those things that are ahead. He said, this is the one thing that I do. We need to learn how to be like Paul. This is the one thing that I do. This is the one thing that I do, and this is what I do, and I'm great at it. And when we have that set focus like that, It'll, it'll help us not let things come into our lives. I believe that, that the enemy, what he likes to do, if he can't hurt us with persecution, and if he can't get us with affliction, he'll get us with distraction. He'll get us by getting us so busy, we don't have time for our devotion with the Lord. Now, there are people who like to spend like 30 minutes in the morning with the Lord and time of prayer, reading their Bible. But then the next, what, Twelve hours of their day they have nothing to do with God you can't have a lasting relationship like that because what you've done is you've you've set time for God and then the rest of your day you filled it with the cares of the world the deceitfulness of things and the lusts of other things you've let those things enter the world and it choked out I don't care how good your time with God was that morning for 30 minutes you choked it everything else that happened choked that good time you had it it's important that we have time with the lord alone but not only that it's important that we keep things out of our heart that don't belong in there amen i'm all for hobbies i I like hobbies i I like to do things i build legos a a couple years ago I, i would make leather wallets if you want one, I'll, I'll make you one. You can buy one. But I like to do kind of like crafts and, and, and have my hobbies and, and watch shows. My brother-in-law comes over sometimes and we watch a show. And I like doing those things because they are fun. But the danger is when that becomes all of your spare time, you could be using that time to be with the Lord. You could be using that time to spend time in his word. You could be using that time to further your, your spiritual development with God. But when we allow those things to become all of our time, that's what enter in and choke the word. My, one of my um, great mentors, Pastor Jeremy Pearsons, he once shared a story one time of, of his, an experience that he had with his daughter. And one night, something happened to her, his daughter, and and he was in a season of life where things just got mundane, things got really uh, boring, and and for him, picking up the Bible was working. He was a preacher, he was a minister, he taught, and so whenever he picked up the Bible, it was work time. It was, okay, what am I going to get to preach? What am I going to receive today for my next message? And it wasn't how, what am I going to do with my fellowship with God today? It was strictly work for him. And so one night, he remembers recalling being in his bed and his beautiful wife next to him. And he said, I looked over to my nightstand and there is my Bible and there is my iPad. And I thought, I'll grab my Bible. But the moment I reached for it, I thought in my head, oh, I don't want to write a sermon today. And so he ditched the Bible and he grabbed the iPad, got his uh, Bluetooth noise cancellation headphones and put them on his head and just zoned out for the rest of the night, just checked out. And in hindsight, he's thinking, man, what am I doing? I got a beautiful wife next to me. I have the word of God next to me. I could be doing so many better things than just checking out. And so he he was doing that for some time for a few months, and one night his daughter had this um, episode happen where she couldn't breathe, and uh, they prayed over her. They knew exactly what to do. They laid their hands on her. They spoke words over her. They confessed the word of God over her. They prayed. They believed that she'd be healed, and nothing happened. And so they took her to the doctor, to uh, to the clinic, and all the doctor had to do was give her a shot, and she was back to normal. And so she, they were very thankful that, that, that they had those doctors at their disposal. But then he asked the Lord after all of it was done. He said, Lord, what the heck happened? I don't have time to confess powerless confessions. I don't have time to, to have nothing come out of my faith-filled words. I don't have time for that. What happened? You, nothing, there is no power that came out of my mouth. There was no power that came out of my hands, yet I know all the power that I have. And the Lord said, Jeremy, you're trying to produce fruit without abiding in the vine. You're trying to produce this type of fruit without being to the fruit's life source. You're separated. You're checked out. And so he came to that point of his life where he he had to repent of that and and never again went, went back to that. And, and now they have, their, her daughter, their daughter is perfectly fine. They have a son and they have a beautiful church that they pastor in Colorado. And now they're doing great. But I remember him sharing that with me and it hit home with me of, man, I never want to get to that point of having the word not work because of me. Having the word not work because I'm not abiding. I have all these thorns in my life that are choking the word. See, hobbies are fun. I I play sports, me and my dad and Eloy here at church. We have a soccer team that plays every Tuesday night, 6 p.m. if you guys wanna go support us. And, And that's fun. I play on Sunday nights on another soccer team. That's fun. But the moment it gets in the way of my time with god that's the danger that's the danger and again i'm not saying you can't have hobbies i have hobbies i'm not saying you can't watch sports i watch sports but be careful that those don't become thorns that enter in and choke what's actually giving you life amen what's actually producing fruit thank you lord there's a, a quote from a man, Stephen Covey, and he said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. When you do that, you'll be able to achieve a lot more things that, that you can get done. Um, I have a planner that I like to use just to keep track of my day-to-day things that I have to get done. And one of the things that I like about my planner is that it has three main focuses and then all of the rest are small little checkoffs. So it, it, what I do is I look at it and it says, write down the three most important things you need to get done today. Then everything else can be underneath it. And so what that helps me do is it helps me focus on those main things, and once those are done, then I move on to all the smaller things, right? Then I move on to the things that really don't matter as much. Like, I'll, first I'll do, okay, sermon prepping. And then I'll do something else for the church. I can't think of it right now. But then on the smaller ones, clean my golf clubs. Now, if I were to clean my golf clubs first, I have my priorities wrong. Amen? So we have to learn how to keep the main thing as our main focus, our main priority. And that should always be the Word of God. Always. We should always, now, like I said, you might be spending 30 minutes with God in the morning. That's great. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. But just make sure throughout the rest of your day, thorns aren't entering. Weeds aren't coming in to choke it. Well, how do I do that, Matt? I work an eight to five job. I can't just read the word all day long. No, you can't. But you know what you can do? Meditate on it. Repeat scriptures all day long in your head. Say the word of God. If you can, put in headphones. Listen to the word of God. You can do something to keep God's word in your heart, in your head all day long. That's possible. How do I know? Because I did it working a nine-to-five job in an office, on a computer. I had the liberty to do that. Some might not, but you're able to keep God's word in your heart. You got to keep it The main thing in Hebrews chapter three, verse 12, the author says this, beware, brethren. You know, if anyone ever tells you to beware, you probably should beware. You probably should take caution in what they're about to say, because chances are it's going to happen to you. So beware. I've never seen a, a sign that said, beware of dog with no dog on the other side of it, unless you're trying to scare someone and not go back there but every time I see a beware of dog, I'm bewaring there's a dog. I'm not just going to go back there and not see a dog. Amen. So beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Well, that's not me, Matthew. How can you say that? Hold on, keep going next verse but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin see jesus or that writer of hebrews said that sin will harden your heart that don't don't be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin I love what Mary said, that grace, it's not, it's not so you can continue to keep living in sin, it's so you can be freed from living in sin, so you don't have to live in sin. That's what grace is. But when you continue living in sin, you're hardening your heart. I mean, We've been through this so many times. I've taught so many messages on this. I wrote a book about it, The Power of Purity. Go look at it afterwards, about how when you are in an impure life, you harden your heart towards God, not the other way around. God will never harden his heart towards you. He'll never turn his back towards you. You will turn your back on God when you're doing things wrong. I relate it to this. I like to put things practically for you guys. The Bible says, remember last week we said how the first ground, it didn't plant. But in in Matthew's account, it said it didn't plant because they didn't understand it. Well, I want to make you understand this today. If, if you're somebody who is having an affair on your spouse, and your spouse doesn't know, it's hidden, you've done a good job hiding it, will your spouse turn their back on you, or are you turning your back on your spouse? You're doing it to your spouse. For all they know, they're still loving you they're still treating you with respect. They're still helping you. They're still doing all those things, but you're the one who's hiding a different life on the other side. You best believe that's gonna cause your heart to harden towards your spouse. That's what happens with God. When we continue to live in sin and when we continue to do things that aren't right, we're hardening our hearts towards God while God's over here loving us and giving us the best life and giving us grace and giving us all these amazing blessings and we're over here living our own selfish life. We harden our heart towards God. Most cases when an affair happens, the person tries to justify their means by saying, oh, well, they're not doing this for me. Well, probably because you're not doing this for them. Probably because you're the one who's acted up first and now they retaliated. Oh, well, when we do that, it's like, it's like we're, when we're living in, in, in an impure life, then we point the finger at God saying, you're not doing this for me. Yeah. Well, God's hands is clean. He's saying, I did everything for you. Yeah. You're just not receiving because you want to live selfishly. Mm-hmm. So don't be deceived, he said. Beware that you don't harden your heart through the deceitfulness of sin. You can't live in sin and expect the word of God to produce effortless change in your heart. Now, if sin can harden your heart, there are certainly other things that can harden your heart that are not sin, that are sinless. For example, again, you need to understand this with your own conviction of wherever you're at, okay? you can watch sports you can go have hobbies you can do all of those fun things just don't let it take precedent over the word of god amen but it, so i can i can be watching football every sunday morning and and I, I do i watch football on sunday on saturdays and thursdays and on monday nights i watch football i like football and i also like watching soccer i like watching sports but watch what happens when the danger of the danger that comes with liking it too much is I watch it on on Saturday whenever the first game's at. Then I watch it on Sunday, and then it's 8 o'clock, and all of a sudden I know there's a big game coming up at 10 a.m., the Raiders versus the Bills. And I have the choice to make. Do I go to church, or do I watch my favorite team play? Now, some people will say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe. Maybe not. But don't come to me in five years from now while you keep doing that and say, Matthew. The word's not working. What's going on? Because I will have no sympathy for you. I will say, you hardened your heart. You let other things enter in and choke it. Again, I'm not saying don't watch sports. When I get home, I'm going to watch sports. I got my favorite teams playing today. I have the Raiders right now. I have a soccer team playing later. I have good teams. But when they become... More important than the word of God, that's when it gets dangerous. Mm. Thank you, Lord. It's getting quiet in here. Starting to feel the sweat on my brow. Lord, give me strength. Go back to Mark chapter 6. I'm going to skip a couple of chapters. Mark chapter 6, verse 49 this is what happened with Jesus and his disciples. They were in the a, in a middle of a storm. And we, we've actually been talking about this in our small group. And they were in a storm. And the waves were beating them. And the, the wind was blowing. And, and there was just a, it was a massive storm that was going on. And Jesus, he walked out into the water. And he, he told them this in verse 49. Verse um, 49. He walks out. They supposed it was a ghost, and, and they cried out for him. Verse 50, for they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked to them and said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he went up into the boat. He went up. If What you don't read in this story is that Peter got out, walked in the water, drowned, came back up, and then him and Peter walked back to the boat together. It says he went into the boat, and the wind ceased, and they were all greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and they marveled but then it says this because they had uh, not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened see just because you have a hard heart doesn't mean it was because of sin now again like i said sin will harden your heart that's just what it will do but you don't have to necessarily be in sin for your heart to also become hardened it can be hardened by other things it can be hardened by your hobbies. It can be hardened by, by anything that takes root in your heart that overcomes the word. That can harden your heart. So we have to be careful, friends. We have to be careful that we don't let those things enter in and choke the word. The disciples' hearts were not hardened because of, of they were watching something they should have been watching. Their hearts were not hardened because they were all having an affair. Their hearts weren't hardened because they were, they were doing things that were sinful. Do you want to know what hardened their heart? It said they didn't consider the loaves. But if you read in the other accounts, their hearts were hardened because they were focusing on all the things that were external that, weren't, that, were, that were showing them that they were going to drown. That's what hardened their heart. Not, not sin and, and living in a bad life. It was their circumstances that they were currently in that they were focusing on that hardened their heart. And because of it, naturally, they're not going to think about the miracle. They're not going to think about what Jesus just did literally hours ago. Because they're so focused on what's happening right now. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. You're so focused on, on the report that's ahead right now. Doctors said this. Your friends said this. Your your family member says that. Something happened. And instead of looking back to what God's done, you look at what's happening right now and you get worried, you get fearful, your heart becomes hardened. Friends, the thorns and the weeds entered in and that choked the word of God. See, you can't just give quality of time with God, like I said. You can't just have a 30-minute really good Prayer time. Oh, I cried my eyes out this morning. And then the rest of your day, let the weeds and the thorns fill. Let the junk, let, let your, the lust of other things, let the opinions of others, you can't let all of that enter the, your ground because all your ground is trying to produce nutrients for everything you let in. You have to understand that. The ground is trying to supply life to everything that gets planted. If I plant a seed into a little garden box, for, for that time, all of the ground is gonna focus its nutrients right there. But the moment I put another seed on the opposite side, that nutrient is now gonna split and go to both. Whatever you plant in the ground, that's where the ground will supply life. Good. Or bad you get weeds in there guess what weeds need more life than seeds weeds need more of that nutrients from the ground than the seed does the seed just needs a little bit the seed just needs a little bit that's why you can put a seed in a little cup it doesn't need it doesn't you don't need to plant a little seed in a giant box you put it in a cup and then it starts to produce now you put it in a bigger box then you put it in a bigger box and then you put it into a garden Amen. But weeds, oh man! You ever seen the, the 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 roots of a weed? You ever seen the the weed, the roots of a thistle? You know what a thistle is? It's ugly. I don't. recommend you ever getting one. They're like they're ugly. They're tall. They're skinny. They got thorns on them. And I had one in my backyard last year, and I pulled that sucker out. And man, it was like this tall above ground, but the roots were like this deep. They were long. And I mean, it was pretty easy to get out because I'm, I'm a strong man. <laughs> but when I first saw that thistle, I could have went like this, boop, and got it out. But because I waited for it to grow, I had to yank that thing out. I think I had to get a shovel to dig it. It was, it was a pain, right? The nutrients that our ground is trying to supply uh, to the seed, it will get dispersed Among anything else that we plant, whether it is good or bad, in Hebrews chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter eleven. This is one of a a really great part of Scripture, talking about all these great men and women of faith. This is like the Hall of Faith, right here, and they start talking about these all the people who believed God and had promises from God. But then it says this in verse 13. It says, these all died in faith. How many of you know that that's the best place, that's the best way to go to heaven, to go in faith? Amen? I mean, I hear people say, man, my my grandfather, he was a believing man, and, and he died believing he'd be healed. Praise God. That's the best way you can go. I wouldn't want to die doubting. I die in faith. Amen. And they all died in faith, not having received the promises. Now, what's the promises? Well, if you actually read everything in here, I have it highlighted in here. It's the, the promise of salvation and redemption. Abraham did not receive his salvation or redemption until Jesus came. Moses didn't receive his salvation or redemption until Jesus came. All of them died in faith, knowing salvation and redemption is somewhere in the future, but not being able to receive it right now. They all died in faith. But it says this, But having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. They were confident. They were persuaded In those promises, they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. See, the the key to this is that they saw them in a distance, but they were persuaded about them. See, you have to be persuaded in your own heart. 1 John 3 says that, that you have to persuade yourself in your own heart before you can actually receive it. You need to believe and know that you know what you know. Amen? Amen. When you're persuaded, you you have to get doubt out. See, when you become persuaded that you believe what God's word says, there's no room for doubt to come in because you know what you know. Amen? But the truth is, all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, all of us were raised in doubt and unbelief. Every single one of us. I don't care how good your household was. I don't care how awesome your daddy was. You were all raised, I was raised in doubt and unbelief. Why? That's just the pattern of the world. Regardless if my parents taught me the word, I still had school to go to. I still had friends that I had to hear. I still had teachers that told me things I didn't believe. I still had all these things in my life that, that caused me to doubt and not believe. All of us. So we have to reverse that. It takes work. We have to reverse that doubt and unbelief and be fully persuaded in what God says for us. Amen? Amen. You can't, It's not enough to just hear People, they, they think, if I just hear a truth, the, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they take it and say, if I just hear the truth, well, oh, then it, it'll work. No, it won't. You need to know the truth. It's an intimate understanding, an intimate knowledge of the truth, not just hearing the truth. You need to be persuaded of the truth. Once you hear a good word, you need to get the doubt out and get the faith in, amen? But you gotta believe that that truth is the truth. See, they were all, they all saw the promises afar off and then they embraced them. You know what that means? it became the focus of their life. They embraced those truths and whatever that they did from that point on was to get to those truths. You gotta embrace God's truth in your life about all of the promises that he has for you, amen? It needs to become the focus of your life. See, like I said, hardening your heart isn't just from sinful things. It can be the report of people. People's words that come against you. and That's what it says. They embraced them, and then they confessed. They confessed with their mouth that they were not pilgrims of this earth. In other words, they started speaking things. There's power in your words when you understand the truth. Because when people rise up against us, when people come up against us and they tell us things that we don't need to know or we don't need to hear, those can act as thorns and weeds that choke up the word. They can act as a, a blockage to us receiving all the things that God wants us to receive. If you went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, you have this, or you have this many months to live, man, it doesn't, you, you can have all the words of the Bible in your heart if you aren't persuaded, those words have become a thorn and a weed that choked that out. You want to know why that is? Because the first thing we do once we hear that word is we Google it and say, how long can this last for or how to relieve this pain or how to do this and we we believe the report more than we believe his word if we believe the word we wouldn't be even spending time googling what does this mean the doctor says i have this what does that mean for all i know i don't care what he says he's a liar You know, doctors get so many things wrong all the time. I'm not against doctors. If there weren't any doctors, all the Christians would be dead. Because they don't have enough faith. I'm not against doctors. I went to the doctor a couple weeks ago for my knee, the one that I hurt. And he told me things I was like, I wouldn't even go for you for that. I went for my knee, and you're trying to tell me other things? Get out of here. I still like him. He wants me to come back and have a checkup and... Nope, it's not going to happen. On my knee, that is. Yeah, he told me I tore my knee. Does it look like I tore my knee to you? I don't think so. I don't think so. Where was I going? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 15, just a couple verses down. It says, now this is talking specifically about Abraham and Sarah. It says if they truly had called to mind the country where they came out from, they would have had the opportunity to return. In other words, if if they thought about the place that they were leaving, if they thought about, oh, the good old days, if they thought about, oh, my family, all my friends, if they thought about all that stuff, they would have had an opportunity to turn around and go back to all of it. In other words, you can reverse this and you can make this say, if they weren't mindful of the country they came from, then they wouldn't have an opportunity to go back. If we're not thinking about doubtful things, then we're not having opportunities to be in doubt. Amen. Going back to what I said, if the doctor told you something, don't go Google it because you're just thinking about it now don't mind that don't be mindful of that because if you're not mindful of it you will not have an opportunity to go default to that amen you can't be tempted by something you don't think about I don't care who you are if you have not thought about it you cannot do it mmm that that'll if you understood that alone right there that could be a whole sermon. If you have not thought about it, you cannot go do it. If you have not thought about cheating on your spouse, you will not go cheat on your spouse. You're not entertaining those thoughts. Mm. I, I've never met someone who, had, who has had an affair. Say, oh, I've never thought about having an affair. No, you, you probably looked at something you shouldn't have looked at. You probably just looked at that lady a couple times and, and said something to her you shouldn't have said, and, and then did something you shouldn't have done. There's no way on God's green Earth you can say, "I never thought about doing this." Right. And then you did it. Every single thing we do, we've thought about before. Hmm. There's good truth in that, friends. Yes, there is. There's good truth in that. See, <clears throat> so do you want to know the key? To being an overcomer. I got the key in my pocket right here. You want it? You want it? got the key right here. Chapstick. The, the key to being an overcomer is refusing to think about anything contrary to the word of God. Refusing. Not, not just not doing it. Refusing to do it. You ever, okay, me and my wife, we like to watch Hallmark. Anyone watch Hallmark? We like the Christmas things, and right now we're currently watching a show, really clean and and really good, and we're watching this show, and I, I guess Hallmark is like for older people because every single commercial that plays after the show is about some sort of sickness, If you have this disease and if you have, if you're this old and you suffer from this and that, it literally every single commercial is about being old and all these things that come with being old. And you know what? I cannot stand listening to those things. We'll fast forward through them. We'll mute them. We'll, we'll, if sometimes if we don't have the remote, we'll just start saying things like, well, that's not us, not me. Nope. We don't have to get old and have those, all those diseases. Amen. But you have to refuse to think about that stuff. You've got to refuse to think about that garbage, or else it's gonna happen to you. And then it's gonna happen, and you're gonna get in those positions. How did this even happen to me? Because you planted it in your heart. Mm. I know. I know many people who are very old who are super healthy because of this truth. Mm. They don't eat. They don't take their vitamins. They eat whatever they want, and they believe the word. They're as healthy as a horse. I don't know how horses are healthy or not, but they're as healthy as a horse. Here's, here's one of the keys, another key. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19, it's still talking about Abraham. And it's about him receiving the promise from God that they would have a child. And this 25 years later, after the promise, they received the child. And they were old, old people. I mean, they're older than anyone in this room. Old. Old. And the Bible says in Romans 4, verse 19, I'm going to read it out of the New King James. It says, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. I told you he was old. (laughs) And the deadness of Sarah's womb, because she was old. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, I'm going to read this also from the New International Version. It's not on the screens. But it says this, without, being, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. I don't believe that this is accurate it completely misses the key to being strong in faith being strong in faith literally said not considering i don't care what my natural circumstance is i'm not going to consider it i'm doing what god told me to do being weak in faith is going okay i'm i'm 100 years old my wife is 100 years old she's barren how old can a woman be and still give birth that's considering your body that produces doubt because then you get web I WebMD you can't it's impossible then you get all these reports that all these fake things that say that it can't be done maybe in the natural sure but we don't live in the natural amen and that's what separates us from overcomers is that the overcomers don't just stop where the natural says to stop we go to the supernatural amen We go to the spiritual realm. We don't just stay where the doctors say, oh, this is going to happen to you and you're going to experience this and then you only have this much, much. No, we go to the supernatural, amen? Amen. Not just the natural. So for the fact that he did not consider his own body, he didn't even take the time to think, how is this going to happen? We're old. He trusted in God through faith. He says that he did not waver through the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. He only focused on the word about that child. That's all he focused on. So God says it's going to happen. I don't care how old our bodies are. That's going to happen. I don't care what this says. That's going to happen. Amen? Thank you, Lord. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I can, the band can come back up. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Fear comes by hearing and hearing the report of the world. Fear comes when we hear doubt and unbelief. Fear comes when we hear negativity. That's why, friends, it's so important that it's not just sinful things that harden your heart. It's people's words that come against you. It's people's opinions that have no, no relevance to the word of God themselves. Those become weeds those become thorns birds of a feather flock together amen and if you believe that i believe that the word says that evil communication corrupts good behavior worthless association is translated to worthless association who you're around dictates what you receive if you're not around people who are faith-filled people encouraging you, inspiring you, building you up in faith, if you're only around people who keep telling you things about their, how, how they're sick and how they're dying and how all oh, this is happening to them and that, all the negative things of the world, you're going to get that rubbed off on you. I'm sick and tired of hearing people complain about all of their issues. I really am. I don't like being around people. I'm going to be honest with you. If you don't see me around you much, it's because I don't like what's coming out of your mouth. If, if I'm not hanging out with you, if I'm not having a long conversation with you, it's because I checked out the moment I heard complaining come out. I do not like it because I do not want that to get in my heart. I don't want that to get in my head. I want the word of God only. And if I hear things that are contrary, I'm out. I'm just being honest. I believe the word is true and everyone else is a liar at that point. You might not like that. You might think I'm weird, but I think you're weird for not doing that. I think you're weird for for allowing what the opinion of the world to dictate what your truth is. I've said it before. There are natural facts, but there are spiritual truths. The natural fact might be that you're dealing with this. Absolutely. I understand. But the spiritual truth is so much more important. Than the natural fact and that's where i i see myself with as opposed to the natural fact isaiah chapter 54 verse 17 says no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the lord and their righteousnesses of me go back to the other one Every single word can be a weapon. Proverbs says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. What you are speaking either will kill you or will heal you. Amen. It says no weapon formed against you shall prosper, comma, and every tongue. In other words, the tongue is the weapon. The tongue, it doesn't say no weapon formed against you will prosper, and every sword that rises against you, you will parry. It says every tongue that rises against you that's contrary to God's word, you have to condemn. See, we're real good at when Satan comes and he's all dressed up in a red suit with his horns and his, his, his spear or whatever he's holding. We're real good at condemning that and rebuking that. But what about when it's through your friend? What about when he's speaking through a, a family member? What about when you hear something that's coming from Satan, but it's disguised as an angel of light? Will you condemn that? I mean, we'll, we'll condemn the the devil-looking thing, but we—it's hard for us to condemn the the friend who has good intentions, who loves you, but is speaking death. Will you condemn that, man? I'm, this, will, this will kill you if you don't understand it this is dangerous stuff to, to mess around with friends now I I condemn words every day in my head and it, it's so it's really hard to be around people sometimes because a lot of people just speak death that's all they do I remember this, this happens all the time It's funny, but my wife, she doesn't think I have to do this, but I do this all the time. Whenever people talk about my son, I'm very careful with what they say. And I've heard people. One of my good friends, he's my barber. I love the guy. He loves me, and we're nice to each other. He was like, he's like, how's it? How's it been? Being a dad. How's parenting gone? Been good it's been fun he's a real easy baby easy going loves to laugh not high maintenance independent oh yep. Yeah, that's if that's the first one then the second one's gonna be horrible and oh like every single time I hear that in my head I'm going not for me maybe for you just uh, and in my head I'm condemning words all the time all the time and Stephanie she's like he doesn't even know what he's saying don't let it bother you I'm just very careful with what comes in my head I'm very careful with the words that come through that come into me that come through me that come out of me if you would have known me about six seven years ago the words I I should have been dead a long time ago the words that I spoke But you have to be the ones to condemn the words, to to condemn the weapon. But also this, make sure, oh man, make sure you are not the one forging the weapons that come against you. Make sure you're not the one that's causing all this death to come in your life and then you have to condemn it. You have to to break down that power. You know, what you're doing is you're just releasing the power of the enemy. See, the, the enemy has no power unless you give him power. And when you give him power, it's when you're speaking what he wants you to speak. Oh, I have allergies. Oh, my goodness. It's allergy season. It's flu season. COVID's coming back around. Make sure you get your shot. Be careful. Just be careful. You do what you want with all of that. Go get the shot if you want. I don't, that's not my business. My business is to tell you, be careful with what's coming into your heart. That's my business. That's what I care about. Do everything with wisdom. Do everything with caution. Do everything by the leading of the Holy Spirit, not through fear. If you're afraid of a virus, that's not your motive to go get a shot, amen? That should not be the motive. Fear is never a good leader. Fear is never a good leader. Mm. Be careful those words, that those weapons aren't the aren't the weapons that you're forming. Got to guard everything that comes out of your mouth and everything that comes in to your heart, amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning?